0: Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffey. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. On today's episode of Corporate Caffeine, we were joined by Mark. Vincent, he is a facilitator with Maestro Level Leaders, he's the host of the Third Turn Podcast, and he's the founder of Design Group International, which is basically the base camp for process consulting. But what all of that means is that Mark's current work is about helping leaders to take their success to an entirely different level. It's about succession planning, about building future value and about fulfilling your legacy, stepping deeply into your potential and making sure that you are going as big and as high as you are possibly capable of going. It is exciting. And the one thing about talking with Mark is even a single conversation will end up being transformational in your understanding of what it takes to get where you wanna go. You are going to love this conversation. Let's dive in. Dr. Mark Vincent, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I am glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. It's always so fun to have that conversation with someone that I look up to, that I aspire to follow in some of your foot and footprints and then also a friend, you thank know, you. where it gets to be personal. So yeah. there's no telling where this conversation's well, gonna go.
1: Every time we talk, I learn from you. So I'm always <laughs> eager for this. <laughs>
0: So exciting! Well, so how
1: okay. the pressure's on? I know. The doctor's <laughs> asking you.
0: I know uh, that's very intimidating. not for
1: advice yet, but oh,
0: come <laughs> <on>. <laughs> no, don't ask me for advice. So how are you? Like, what's what are you excited about this year?
1: I am excited this year about the launch of uh, Maestro Level Leaders, yes. which is this cohort for leaders who are in what we call their third turn. They are moving into. Figuring out how to have the company that they are responsible for or the organization they're responsible for in a place that it can grow and be even better when they're not running it anymore. Yeah. So, uh, the normal story. Is that value gets lost, that uh, there are ego battles, there is loss of mission, there is personal drift that happens, a I don't want to work so hard anymore, and any number of issues that lend itself to when a transition comes, the preparation work is done too little, too late, and a lot of value is lost. It's actually a very similar dynamic for mergers and acquisitions where everybody starts to get really excited about getting the paper signed and whatever plans they had for how they would consolidate the businesses or build out from there and work with talent and get everybody on the same page quickly disappears and you get this false mission of let's sign the document and that also happens with transitions. So what we're working to do is to gather people who are on that very unique journey and what is somewhere in the ten, last 10 to 15 years of their career, maybe a little bit less time than that, but to give four good, hard years of working together where they are creating a job description for being founder or emeritus or whatever it will eventually be. Yeah. Developing the map to get through this uncharted territory because it's a unique context, a unique individual doing this, the model that they will begin to implement with others, their board, the senior executive team that they have as they move toward what next for the business as well as uh, for themselves. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily leaving at that moment Right. But quite often, they're becoming a chair of the board. They're moving up to a seat in a holdings company. They're going to you know, watch over this new initiative that they're doing. They're going to focus on developing future value while somebody else is running the business. There's any number of transitions that could happen. Yes. Now, here I am going on and on, but I'm excited about it. We yes. got it launched, uh, and we have a lot of good content Uh, That underpins that uh, through the Third Turn blog and a related podcast.
0: I mean, so exciting to be thinking about the energy, the dreams, the value, the processes, all the things that these leaders built for decades and that they will continue and potentially even gather more momentum. Even after they depart or move into their new role or whatever, yeah. and uh, but I can imagine that that can be really difficult for individuals to wrestle with. And real quick, you said four years. You didn't go a couple of years, or we spend some time. Like mm-hmm. you went four years. Is that a specific? have you identified this is why or this is the appropriateness of how much time it takes to go through certain things? Because that was very specific. That's a very
1: astute question. And you're right. It is a specific number. It kind of splits the difference between three years and five years. Because right. four comes between those two numbers. <laughs> but the, the normal process for change is getting your hands off of it so that something else can come in Yeah. And so that a new embrace can be formed. Right. And there's a certain amount of time that it takes to be ready to take your hands off of it, to take your hands off of it, to let something else come in where it's nurtured and cared about. And then that new embrace that involves other people uh, can actually happen. And if something is going faster than, let's say, three or four years. Yeah. There's a lot of disaster that's involved. Interesting, right? So let's say you go really fast to a big transformative change. Well, you're not going to have the same people working with you. No, that you did. You're not going to be in the same business that you were in. That is uh, augmenting a crisis. It's turning it around. It's saying I don't want to do that anymore. It's real rapid. And so you don't, um, you you really have a restart in a sense at that point. But if you're working to continue something and you want to bring people along with you and you want to give opportunity for people you care about as well as fold in what's new, it's a deliberate process. Yeah. And a big chunk of it is getting ready. You know, if we were farmers, we'd be looking at planting season, right? So then it's, is the tractor in good repair? You know, is the are the plow blades sharp and not dented and you know lined up correctly and all of that? Are the are the uh, is the ground ready? Is it dry enough? You're doing all that work before you're actually in there, making that happen. So it um, almost all the theorists who work with change management yeah. are saying it's three to five years to uh, uh, to affect significant permanent adjustment. Interesting.
0: Okay, so. Maybe I'm making a leap here, but maybe I'm not. So in your business, you know, you call it the third turn. And when you're talking about the different turns, first turn is, you know, swiftly speaking, work on yourself.
1: Work on yourself. Yeah. Second
0: is learn how to lead others. So work on others, helping and, them fulfill and their the potential. And the organization. Right. And so then the third is organizing all of this together and moving into legacy and future work, not mm-hmm. what needs to happen right now. Right. And so it sounds like in a abbreviated way it's almost like these transitioning leaders have to go through those three turns or allow themselves points of view inside of each one of those as they transition is that oversimplifying, or am i really just like trying to (laughs) well i think
1: we can even simplify it one one more level just to really boil it down if someone's going to move through these turns and do it well yeah they must be a lifelong learner So what helps them uh, learn to lead self is that they are learning. They're learning their capacities, they're learning their skills, they're learning how to lead a project. They actually need room to make mistakes, fail, restart, move over to a whole different area of profession so they kind of land in a place where they can have a sense that this is a vocation, this is a field I can grow in and I can do some good. And many people, in fact, most workers will actually stop there. Yeah, They will become what I call an artisanal leader. They sure. will be the best at this thing they do, programming, uh, mechanical work, uh, customer service. I mean, just name a field. They are the one you do not want to lose because they are so good at it. Yes. Right? Then, out of that, someone can be asked, will you now, because you're so talented, will you bring that talent to run the organization? Well, at that point, everything they have learned is out the window. It's
0: a totally yeah. different skill set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being a
1: master
2: in what you do is a lot different than running a business for right. that yes. mastery. Right. right. You know, they're two separate things.
1: Right. And I often say that the area that they're so expert in, let's just, because this is marketing blender, right? So yes. we'll say marketing, the minute they are in a C-suite running things, and if they come out of marketing, they'll have some skill there, but they will not be the most skilled person in about six months. They won't be as up to date. They won't be able to read all the journals. They won't be able to go to all the meetings because they've got to pay attention to what the research and development side is saying, what sales is saying, what customer service is saying, on and on and on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they cannot come at this as the expert where everything is a nail and they've got the hammer out of their experience. So they have to learn what it means to be an executive, to use executive functioning in their brain, which is much more about problem solving and starting with I don't know rather than I do know.
0: I can speak to having to go through that transition in my own business, absolutely.
1: So then when you move into a third turn, you've learned how to run a business Which is you're managing current value and all that, but as you look to how do I transition this, how do I bring somebody else in to run the business that it is now as opposed to the business that it was when I started, and to the business that we seem to be becoming. Yeah. Where what I'm handing off is not something that I actually am running or have run, but what we will be running. Uh, where you're you're looking into the future, you're looking into the mist, you're trying to figure out what that future value is. So I, there's an example I really like, but the point is, you got to learn all over again, right? Yes. So here's the example. During COVID, senior living communities have discovered that for the future, their business model has to change. The facility itself has to change. Yeah. So many of the people who have been running, let's say, a company that has 30 or 40 of these facilities across a state or in a region, they don't have the time with their current executive team to figure that out. Right. But they have to figure it out. Yes. Right? Yes. So what is likely to happen is the person who's got the most seasoning, they're not going to do it all by themselves, but they have to give attention to what that future is. Yeah. So that they can retrofit current facilities, but any new facility they might create or assume, let's say they survive whatever the economic flip is, and they're in a position to actually take on facilities that are close to bankruptcy. And we've got seniors that need to be cared for and so forth. They've got to figure something out that hasn't been done in quite the way it's been done before, and they are not likely to be the person running it in 20 years. Right. One more example is GM. Right now, we're going to be yeah. all electric in a couple of decades. Yes. Right. Yeah. The people who are making that happen won't be running GM
0: once it happens. Once
1: it's done. Wow. No. Yeah. So long term yeah. vision. So it's learning, I learning, think learning, so, learning, 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 yeah. learning.
0: I think that's actually probably the state of the world now for most.
2: So yeah. To go back to on a smaller level than GM, should you mm-hmm. should say um, these leaders that you're transitioning say for 20 years they've had this business and done day-to-day operations and this has been their baby. For that switch to turn and go, okay, I'm gonna walk in today and view things totally different. Who holds them accountable? Like right. who's there on their shoulder tapping on them going, oh, back off, you've right. gotta delegate, you've gotta right. do these things. Right. So in your system, you train them, okay, from the beginning, like it's your mindset mm-hmm. or Go through this
1: program. How's that work? Well, there are a couple of things. One is there are some really good programmatic things that are out there uh, that touch on aspects of this. So let's say, wow, I got to change. Uh, you know, retirement's coming, or I've achieved something, but now I feel so empty. What am I right. going to do? Yes. Well, a group like Halftime is awesome for that, right? Or I've had an event. I just got bought out, and now we're trying to figure out what to do with the money. I'd never really thought about it before. Well, you got groups like National Christian Foundation and Community Foundations. A lot of denominations have their own foundations. There's are sort of as most alma maters that we've got, right, that right. would help us walk with us for those things. But for that person at the intersection of the organization where that's an aspect, of like what they're going to do with money, what they're gonna do with their life. we could also say how to f- figure out the valuation of the company. All of those aspects come together at this intersection. Yeah. So to have what we would call more of an executive advisor kind of relationship and a cohort of companions, people who are in their own context having their own journey with it but they're kind of comparing notes. Yes. Is a way to bring all of that to one intersection where you can examine it all because it there is because it's an intersection, there is something that happens with the dynamics flowing together than when you just take one aspect of it all by itself. Yeah, and so being there at that place where we can turn them at the right moment, which is different for each person, right to the resource that they need, then that's really what we're after in this cohort.
0: Well, and those cohorts cohorts are so impactful. You know, I mean, obviously I'm part of, you know, or I'm a member of convene. Sure. So I get to participate in, you know, a different version of what you're talking about. But the thing about it is a lot of times I'll be listening to someone tell their story. And then how our brains work, we immediately are placing ourselves in that story. Yes. And even though their story and their business and their industry and their exact scenario have nothing to do with me, by the end of it, it has everything to do with me. I mean, I am somehow learning lessons that I didn't have to walk in their shoes. And it's amazing the seeds that get planted in regards to, oh my gosh, I can apply this over here. And it might be weeks later or whatever, but I'm blown away how much more I learn by not Using the people around me to solve my problems, but to walk together. Right. Because it's incredible, you know, and especially if you're a God fearing person, it's incredible how the answers come, you know, through connection and, you know, the desire to do this together.
1: And that puts you in a spot where you've come to that gathering of other leaders open to learn. rather than prove yourself arms crossed prove yourself (laughs) that you have something to tell me about my life my business and to be in a spot where you regularly come arms open head open ready to think Uh, it's a nice shortcut to learning and appropriating but that means the posture of I don't know isn't it wonderful yeah is what has to lead for us now do you see this more in men I would take it
2: Just saying that our egos may step in the way, (laughs) you know, of having your arms crossed and being the man for, say, owning your own business for the 20 years. And then the now, they don't ask for help. They haven't spent all these years asking for the help.
1: Yeah, what I don't want to do is to uh, create one brush that paints everybody in my response. Um, So let me come at it from a different doorway and Mm -hmm. see if it gets to your question. There is a form of authority that we might call role authority. There's also like an expertise authority. There's like an earned authority. And so people who have a sense of expertise authority, I know stuff, I've been there, I'm the guy. It right. tends to be a little bit more male in my experience. I'm not right. quoting anybody's right. Right. survey, right. but it tends yeah. to be show up a little bit more. And in more women in my experience, it tends to tilt a little bit more towards this uh, kind of earned authority or role authority. Uh, let's go with the role piece. I have the title, and I worked really hard right. to get the title. And I uh, have overcome a lot of stuff, and there were there was uh, not a natural path that uh, was there for me. Right. And uh, I don't know exactly how that plays out for people. Maybe where they're starting from isn't their gender, but their maybe their cultural tradition, yes. their ethnic tradition. But when you have anyone who's saying, "I earned this," or "I have the title," then you've got that closing up.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: As opposed to more in their character of who they are that's actually conferred. So if a person is coming to you and saying, it's irrespective of your title, irrespective of your degree, and they're saying, I think you know something about this. Can you help me? That's a sweet spot to be. And it's usually because they feel you're approachable, that you'll think with them, that you're open, that you will problem solve, that you'll engage. And what we're after here is to help people, especially in the last part of their career, come at this from wisdom. Yeah. Not from strength, Mm. you know, and and force. Right. But from a calm, uh, from seasoning, from being tempered, and recognizing if they don't give away their authority, it's going to end with them. Yes. yeah you know we we do work
2: for people who have started their businesses grown them throughout their families who just infiltrate their whole spirit body everything into that. Then we work with uh, software startup technology companies, yeah. who their yes. whole goal is to sell it. Yes, mm-hmm. and so they so have different. the open mind and vision of going. Okay, I've got to build it to this. I've got to rely on a professional marketer X, Y, and Z, and plug all these people into place. When you look at some of the other ones, that's why I asked the question, and mainly you know, male versus female. I was just wanting to know the characteristics. Yeah. And we can point them out
1: pretty quick now that you yeah. think about it.
0: Those are very different approaches. Right. And they
1: are. Right. And so you end up with, if you say, okay, well, where's this leader? Are they in a, like a second turn? If they're selling, you know, their company mm-hmm. at age 35 for $40 million, right. you know, well, they're likely to say at that point, do I want to do this again? Yeah. Yeah. Or do I want to do something else? And it starts to be a little bit more second turn kind of stuff. Do I want to repeat what I've done? And I meet people like this all the time. And that's a fine place, again, to say this is who I am. Yes. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I build businesses yep. to X yeah. and then I sell them. Or I come into companies that are failing, I take them from 10 to 20 million. And that's what I do. And then I'll be looking for the next assignment. And I work for the investment firm that puts me in these places to turn it around and make it work. That is turn two stuff. And it is great. And you can have a wonderful career doing that. And a third turn for a person like that tends to be more, how am I going to spend retirement? Right. right, right. How am I going to give back out of what I've accumulated and so forth? How am I going to give time to family, time to a, a ministry, time to a volunteering? And that's a wonderful place to go. Whereas in the third turn, if a person has arrived there, arrived there they are they are looking at okay, here's this thing yep. that someone else is going to run, and I actually own it. Right, I've got to give it away, or I am operating on behalf of a stockholder board or something where we have to transition this yeah, and uh, to do it in a way that's healthy. So, you know, anywhere in there, you just kind of say, where are you? What's your context? Mm-hmm. What are you working at? What's next for you? And you don't treat these as hard and fast doorways. You're just saying, are you primarily running an organization or are you and looking for the next one or are you getting ready to have an organization that somebody else will want to run and can succeed.
0: Yeah. I mean it's so interesting the process of giving things up in order to gain more and give more is so fascinating to me. I mean, you know when I think about the turns, you know, I mean, I'm in different ones, you know, Mm -hmm. depending on how you look at it. So for instance, um, you know, we had a business together, a trucking company, and we walked away from it because we did hit a point where we were saying, what's it all about? Mm -hmm. And we realized it was stealing too much from us to be able to give any more. And so we just disrupted all of that natural progression, especially because Kyle was the founder that he knew he could have gotten to, but at what cost, Right. Yeah. So then that's the
2: main thing at what cost. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but it was you, kind of a strange third turn for us, you know like in, in a way or weird way right. because then we were embracing legacy and realizing for us right. we couldn't take the business into a third turn. we had to walk away right. you know
2: yeah yeah and there's it was either all in at this moment. Um, It was the downturn 2008 or 2010. (laughs) I've already established (laughs) myself in the industry, oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point where I could have got a contract overseas for six months on, six months off. And, that you know, I had um, an eight-year-old, two six-year-olds at the time. Yep. Or right around there, nine, Mm -hmm. seven. And and I go, all right, you know, I'm going to disappear out of their lives, you know, and I know people do this in the service all the time, mm-hmm. but, you know, we just thought it was best for us to dismantle right. the company. Yeah, right. so, yeah. you know,
0: he would have been moving, you know, very specifically through turn two towards turn three, well, and we mm-hmm. were like,
2: psh I, I said, this is the point, though, where my kids can really benefit off of it. You mm-hmm. know, I could make enough money in a f- yep. few years or and just keep it going. Maybe they would want to get into it. And it I'd give them that option Mm -hmm. and we're like, all right, tap the brakes. Let's focus on you go do what you love now. I've done this for almost 10 years at that point.
0: Well, and and for me, you know, squarely in turn to 45 years old, you know, building my business, fractional CMO for other people. So at lots of leadership seats, but the further I go deeper into it, Constantly giving up that first part, the mastery Mm -hmm. piece, like choosing to surround myself more and more with people that are absolutely going to be better than me. They need to be better than me. And I love thinking future. Like Mm -hmm. I love thinking legacy and when I walk away from it, but nowhere close to actually you know, doing the things and it will be so fascinating because I can't even imagine. I mean, there's a wrestling I do even right now in turn two with constantly and just trying to shift from here to here around my focus has got to be on other people's potential replacing myself, right. you know, constantly. And, and it's these little daily choices yeah. about me versus other people getting out of the way. Mm. And so, you know, looking to the future about the whole next level of you know that emotional spiritual journey mm-hmm. around doing that, but then protecting value for others that you will not get to see. Wow! Like talk about ascending through your potential and life and what you can leave. I mean that is a very exciting mountaintop, but not necessarily an easy one to
1: yeah. scale. You've touched on the person's character, their emotional well being, their spiritual well being, and their kind of their focus so that they're making these in-the-moment kinds of choices that go in the direction that is future-facing instead of just current, right now, what takes care of today, yes. right? And we see this um, when, we're, when you see this as well. When you're talking with executives, you can see very quickly if they are in the now or if they've got a future mm-hmm. kind of cast to them. Yes. They're in the now, they're busy, you know, and everything's kind of tense intense and intense, and they're, yes. they're, they're in it so much that they're basically just managing something. Yeah. And actually they kind of reinforce it with their choices because I'm going to do 10 more emails. Exactly. Right. As opposed to, to till 10 at night, right. To having mm-hmm. the strategic kind of meeting that drives future value. So there is a very practical part of this as well. Yeah. And I don't mean to sound like the spiritual choices, the emotional choices aren't practical. They are real. They are needed. We can also get very tangibles, maybe a better way of saying this. Right. And that's to ask that person who's saying, well, I'm thinking that maybe you know I've got to figure this out or I'm just going to ride this hamster wheel until I'm dead. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what is the future balance sheet? Yes. So you can get very concrete at that point. So to even operate the business as is, the balance sheet, that keeps it sustaining, where you've got it capitalized to the right degree and all of that has to be different than it is now. So if you say five years from now, what does the balance sheet look like for us to even be the business that we are now, which is a process of making this pristine again. Yeah, It starts to force categorized kinds of choices and strategic intent. Then if you start to say, well, what business should we be in Yes. And what balance sheet needs to undergird that, right? Then you are you are tearing into future value and that starts to also drive all of the little choices. Huge. Yeah.
0: Wow, that is amazing. Okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna chase the squirrel a little bit though, because there's so many things in my mind that our audience can't hear because I know about your background (laughs) and they don't. So, I mean, you have written about stewardship. You've written about loss and hope. You have, Mm -hmm. you lead leaders. I mean, you are a significant person in regards to moving process consulting forward and leading with that I don't know point of view. So, I love listening to this conversation because I can hear so many of these threads really woven together in your third turn, if I will. Yeah. And um, so... Talk to us about your first turn and your second turn, and kind of, <laughs> like let's go back a little sure. bit and go yeah. kind of how did you get here? Because yeah, it's
2: someone really who's remarkable. got it all figured out, you want to know where they came from. A little out, little bit. Well, mm. enough.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I would
2: enough <laughs> to consider if I, re- if I was talking to one of my buddies. I was like, this guy's got it figured out. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. When yeah. I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to call Mark right. for
1: sure. Well, you know, lately. I, I have been um, very reticent to open up something like Facebook or LinkedIn because I find that another mentor of mine has passed away. Yeah. And that has become a litany of names. And when I look at what I was given compared to others and the story that they have of arriving in their own leadership, kind of body and stuff, mine isn't full of... um, Oh, here's this great big failure or here's this great big triumph or whatever. I was surrounded, and I credit my parents for seeing that this would be beneficial because they started me in it when I was you know, nine or 10, but surrounding me with mentors. It's amazing. People who would talk to me, people who had good character, people who don't, most of them don't have a scandal that happened in their mm-hmm. 40s or 50s yes. or whatever, where they brought the whole house down and their family got all you know interrupted. These are people who just finished well. And when I was in high school, I had junior high and high school, there was a elderly person uh, whose name was Bill Klofenstein. He had been the president of Brotherhood Mutual uh, Insurance Company, a lot of property and casualty insurance. And he was now retired. I didn't know him as the big cheese in the community or whatever, but he was in our church. And every so often, he would come up to me. He was short and roly-poly, you know, but he'd come up to me eyeball to eyeball because I'm not very tall. And he would say, Mark, I pray for you every morning at breakfast. Wow. You know, God's got his hand on your life. God wants to do something in you. I don't know what it is. I hope you'll listen, but I'm praying for you every morning. Wow. Well, that's like drip... Drip, yeah, yes. drip, drip all throughout my adolescence, right? Well, I'm also then attending the same church with his successor who just died last week, Paul wow. Steiner in his 90s. And I grew up with his sons and daughter. I, I saw how he and his wife Ruth lived, how they did things. So I'm I just witnessing this. Mm. And I could just go on and on with a number of names of people who sowed yes. good things into me And so I'm coming into the workforce already believing that the way you work well uh, is like my father and like these other men and women that I was surrounded with who see themselves as giving away what they know, raising up others who will carry on what they have done and advance it in some way that the whole work is to give yourself to other people not to take out of the business yes and I, I think that that's normal, and I have learned in my life it is not, <laughs> not normal. No, normal. Not normal. it is
2: not normal. It, I think more people need to hear stories like this. We all hear about the story, the the big catchphrase, like you mentioned earlier, about oh, I came from nothing, now I have everything. I did that's it all by, by myself. All by my, you know, that's where <laughs> the arms are crossed. Yeah. But the power of influence through someone. Who just to help guide you in mentorships mm-hmm. is just unreal. Like, if um, more people knew to reach out to people at a young age and let them make the mistakes, yeah, you know, you don't always have to live and learn, you know, you, you live through other people's learning yeah. or live through other people's yeah. mistakes, yeah, it, and make the a lot lo-
0: of- their love and willingness to share that yeah, with, right? It. Yes,
1: so coming into my first. Turn right. I am um, started out as a community worker, a full-time uh, staff member in a congregation with a responsibility for neighborhood outreach, so community organizing and so forth. I became, without meaning to, that wasn't my plan. Right, the senior pastor of this congregation. Um, my thought had been that I'd be in academics, maybe archaeology, something Mm. along that line. That's where I started. But I end up working in this neighborhood church while I'm in college myself, and then in graduate school, become the senior pastor. And that's another mentoring story. The senior pastor saw something in me in my early 20s, and so did that congregation where all the elders of the church were older than my parents. Yeah. And they said, we'd like to see you do this. We see this in you. Whoa. And uh, so, yeah, I made all kinds of mistakes and I learned all kinds of things, but they really nurtured me and cared about it. We did some good work together. But in that, I should say, and in that, I am doing this graduate work where I'm learning about group process. I'm learning about discernment. I'm learning about how you structure where there is complex decision-making to be made. And you've got groups of people who have to work together that might not like each other. Yeah. So an example sometimes is the college campus. You want to build a new dorm. Yeah. And the neighborhood association doesn't like it. And you have a zoning board. And all three of those somehow have to work something out. How do you do this? Well, I was very fortunate because it was the right place, right time, where Harvard Negotiation Project is putting out the book Getting to Yes, and they're showing these methodologies about group process, group discernment. I'm doing graduate work, I'm writing a a thesis on that, and I start getting these phone calls, would you come help us? We've got this crazy knot going on in our organization that we can't untie. We hear you're working on a methodology, would you help us? Now, just because I'm that old, this is when things like teaming and brainstorming and win-win scenarios were all thought to be new. new age phrases like they're they're like voodoo you don't say this stuff you brought out a whiteboard to write on no way (laughs) you know so i I began to get a lot of requests and and found that these methodologies work and that led to another would you come help us i had no business acumen at that point i had no thought that this was what i should be doing but in time it just kept growing it's like there's something here how do i pay attention to it and that became over time, I could go into a longer story about a second turn where we launched Design Group International. And I ran that company and helped grow it for 20 years. My wife and I founded it and it became this platform with a process consulting orientation, which is iterative. It means you ask questions, you come as a learner rather than I know stuff, let me sell you my time. And just one quick sentence about that is I often say that if we're talking about expertise, that's more like contracting. It's more like being a vendor or a project manager. Yes. But to really consult with someone, you're interrogating the problem together. Right. They don't know. So why should I think I would know? Let's look at it. Let's figure it out together. And that became the work. So after 18 years, we kind of hit a wall organizationally where the role that I carried needed to blow up. It needed to be um, several roles. So it was One, bigger than just you. Exactly. Like for, for everything
2: to expand, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like I was RR. becoming a choke point. Yeah. And so how did you get the guidance then to bust through that? Barrier.
1: I'll, I'll back up to watching someone like Bill um, yeah, who I, I just saw him do it. And then uh, my father and his generation, uh, there were a lot of people who were very strong at what they did, very expert at what they did. And they ended up folding up their shop right. at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. And so their income and their equity both disappear. Yeah, mm. And so I'm seeing here's a positive way through it. I think it can be a very deliberate choice to say, I'm just going to run this thing until I'm done. I'm going to close the doors, lock the doors, and somebody can have the building, right? That's fine, but that's not what they wanted. Yes. They, these men and women wanted to sell what they built. Yes. And right. they couldn't let go of it. They couldn't trust someone else to run it. And truthfully, a lot of the people they brought in weren't trustable or reliable. They were. It was like watching Hamilton, the musical, yeah. right? Yeah. Give me my shot. Yes. And the other person can't be George Washington and say, I'm going to go sit under my vine. You know. So everybody's going for their shot and they're battling the founder and the successor. And then the whole thing just deteriorated into nothing. So yeah. looking at both those examples throughout my own upbringing and my own career, I felt like I could begin to see, not that I'd ever lived it, but I could I could see a way through it, much like I want to raise adults. I don't want to just have children. And I mm-hmm. could see parent you know, families yes. where they had children, but they weren't raising yeah. adults. Well when they're eighteen, that's it. You know. <laughs> you Yes right. You know, I've done my job, now they're adults. or paper or or we got them potty trained so they're done
0: yay they're in school now i will argue with the fact that you hadn't lived it potentially because okay you as a young man are becoming a pastor to a congregation that is a complex environment which you know ironically you end up studying (laughs) Mm -hmm. complex decision makings and complex environments it is um you were part of a succession story so even though you were the successor You know, I mean, you had seen that and you have people living in their legacy. And so while you were the recipient, not the one passing the baton, I mean, so interesting because I would argue you had lived it and that, you know, you had literally been placed in those environments so as to, so you had already had the thing in your brain to trigger. Oh, I'm here. Because one of the things I lament all the time and I'm trying to come to is that, you can't, or I can't, learn lessons sooner than I learn them, mm-hmm. and I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I look at the things that I've learned, especially in the past eight years with the marketing blender, and I want, I want so much. To have known those in year one. yeah, (laughs) But you can't. can't, And it doesn't matter if it's about money or relationship or leadership or confidence or, you know, conflict management. Oh, I could just go on and on. But you learn them when you are supposed to learn them and when you're able to learn them. And nothing in your experience roster can trigger an alternative point of view. And so it's interesting because I don't think it's accidental at all that you were like, well, I've seen this before. This is where we're at, and it's time for me to. I'll,
1: I'll accept you that know, Do what Kyle was
0: saying.
1: I, I'm yeah. smiling at well, you to you say because I can feel several people behind me who've been a part of my life, uh, especially my first wife, who's now deceased, Patricia now, who's my wife, who be saying, Mark how many interim assignments did you take as an executive where you turned it over to a successor? Well, yeah, I did about 15 of those.
0: 15. Most people can point to one, if any. (laughs) As a consultative
1: peak. But all that has taught me is that it doesn't get any easier.
0: Yeah.
1: And that every one of these is its own story, its own context. Mm. And it's individualized to the people who are the key players in it. So i would like to think it's easier you know but it isn't and i can't bring what happened here to the next one isn't that there's some references but it's not going to be oh repeat rinse repeat uh,
2: to break through the next level or to hand off a company selling a gadget or a widget whatever you know you want to call it compared to you went in a consulting business Mm -hmm. where it's a lot mindset and to be able to scale that and get it past the 18 million how do you find the people do you find them the best fit your qualities that you can train them or teach them your philosophies or do each of them have their own individual strengths that you're like ooh, they could really help me grow or help us grow
1: that's a great question because you're touching on the fact that this is so individualized. So, yeah, you, can, you just talk about different types of business. Now, put different types of personalities, put different types of ownership structures, right. uh, put different uh, types of what their fiscal reality is in the moment, and then is family involved or yes. right? yes. not? <clears throat> right? Yes. And and what's the division of, of ownership? All, all of those things make it this really unique thing. And I would say one thing I think is in common in any of the stories is that these are strong people. Mm. And I don't mean forceful necessarily, some are, right. but they, they are strong and they uh, aren't lacking in confidence uh that they're not gonna fail. Right. You know, they're 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 if they want to enter into this kind of journey, it's because they want to go after something like they've gone after it before. So what we want to do is to channel that in the most productive place. And it is different. So I'll use this example of, of judo or another martial art. And I'm not a martial artist, so I might not be exactly precise here, but the idea is from what i understand of judo is that it is being able to take the momentum off of your balance rather than forcing your way in so you're not you're not bringing your energy to attack right. and you're also not defending you're using the attack of whatever's coming at you its momentum against them to keep your own balance so it's as much about your restraint as it is your oh, motion going wow. forward. Yeah. So what happens in this moment is that you have to begin to say, where do I restrain myself so that others can come in? How do I be watchful for what's needed so that when I do touch it, it is for its good, not just for my own pride yes. or whatever, because the mission is changing from building the business to, to handing off a building business to someone else's stewardship right? who will in turn do the same thing. So that part we hold in common uh, across just about anyone I'm working with is that they're strong, they've got a momentum that they now somehow have to arrest and adjust if they haven't already. Some have that already. I mean, they've already begun right. to do that. And then we're just turning it for a new direction and a new vision. But I find that many are not. And their momentum is likely to carry them past the the opportune moment. Yeah.
0: Oh, That's such a great visual for me in my mind about when people are bringing influence and ideas and change and momentum into it. Instead of meeting that momentum head to head and trying to control it and stop it and make decisions about it. That you go with it and you direct it and you can have... (sighs) You know, you can be a part of it, right. but that you have to go along right. with it. I'm like, Whoa, I just I'm gonna keep have to do some Two about
2: magnets. How you're going, yeah. oh, and you're pushing them, and you're pushing yeah. them, and you're pushing them, and finally they go shoo, yep. stick together, where they finally, yep. you know, join forces, or they one flings out of your hand, or one flings <laughs> out of your exactly. hand. You're like, oh, maybe they weren't <laughs> meant to sell <celebrate. laughs> <laughs> Maybe they weren't meant for this transition. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yes,
0: exactly. So, real quick, Design Group International. Where'd the name come from?
1: Well, with process consulting. Um, you are using design thinking. Right. You're using design language. You are starting with why. Uh, and I, it sounds like I'm using catchphrases, but actually we're just old enough that we didn't invent the phrase, but that's where we were landing. Right. Yes. And so now you're seeing a larger pickup of this kind of iterative approach to problem solving. So design thinking, that's not a new phrase. Start with why, you know, Simon Sinek kind of has that nailed, yeah. um, but that has a history that even precedes them. Yes. And we can't take credit for inventing it. The, one of the deepest uh, uh, sources for this is Ed Schein, who started the whole idea of process consulting and started naming it that way. And his work very much stayed in the academic world. And it's now finding its way even more fully into business literature. People who have MBAs usually have had to read one of his books or talk about a process orientation. And you're seeing process consulting show up more in engineering and software management. You're seeing it in agile process and so forth. So it's finding its way. So at that point, we're saying, look, uh, this isn't just Mark with a uh, profession and a shingle, and you come see him as an artisan or whatever. We could have taken that approach. But there was enough success as we started what is now Design Group International that we had to make a choice. Is this for others? Yes. And ultimately decided that we would create a platform so that people who have a consultative expertise could have a whole vocation bring others into the business at an appropriate point, be able to sell their business at a certain time when the time is right, and you could make a whole career of it as opposed to this is my in-between jobs adventure, mm-hmm. um, which yep. ruins the consulting field over yeah. and over. Yep. Um, and so a group who are focused on design, and do we work internationally? Yes, we do. So I that just, it's, it's just so simple and descriptive. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting what you're talking about though. So, you know, that process consulting, it was incredibly impactful for me going through that training with you because it clarified and identified some things that I was starting to come to and starting to embrace, but had not been introduced to the whole body of work, you know, so reading Ed Chimes book or one of them. And, you know, I love that because it almost, number one, gave me the, uh, you know, right, uh, I allowed me the permission to make not only organizational impact, which is obviously what I'm paid to do in mm-hmm. marketing, but also individual impact where how I interact with the leaders, how I interact with the client mm. on a one-to-one actually can be as impactful if not more so, but I allowed, had to allow myself to do that that it wasn't only business. And you know my heart and head functioned that way naturally, right but then to bring it to an engagement on purpose, you know, totally transformative. but my creative director and I, Eric Peterson, we talk a lot about what's the future of the marketing agency because agencies are yeah. blowing up the model is not really working everybody's trying to figure this out whether they know it consciously or not and so much of where our turn to is going is how do we allow smart people to think through complicated problems you know inside of their own mastery but then give them structure and processes mm-hmm. to do that but applying it to marketing and you know we're in the middle of this so we're muddling our way through and you know but You know, I can't take on all the clients. And so now we have other CMOs and trying to protect the philosophy of how we think and how we serve Mm -hmm. and how we help companies grow and going, okay, what does it look like when we train this and, you know, try to scale this? you know, even though it's not a tangible delivery. I mean, and it's been incredibly impactful for me to think through that. I don't know first and the willingness to allow people to learn alongside of you and solve tricky problems and digital marketing. You can't do anything except iterative. So many leaders want to go, okay, exactly what am I getting for my money?
1: Yeah. Give me a package.
0: That's right. And well, you're going to get insights. You're going to get misses you're going to get leads you're going to you know get visibility but exactly in what combination you know we're just going to have to get better and better at it so we make projections and then learn mm-hmm. and you know one of our core values has been tell the truth as early and often as possible when it comes to data because but you've got to bring first that approach of
2: it's always changing.
0: Yes, in that okay, we're going to get some of it right, but we're going to get some of it wrong, and we need to be in this together. You guys have to ask smart questions. We have to ask smart questions, right. and that's how we move forward. Yeah. It's very different than having the answers and doing it and just
1: right, you know, well, cranking
0: it out, which doesn't work. Like
1: I don't, that. I don't know your profession obviously nearly as well as you do, but hearing you talk, I would think that. All it takes is Facebook as just one channel making one adjustment in their algorithm. This year. And everything that you've done for the last three months is out the window.
0: And it's funny that you brought that in because that's exactly what's happening with Facebook right now. I cannot tell you how many people are saying this has been working for us for years and nothing's working now. And it's Mm -hmm. the same thing. And it's because they changed something in the background. And you're 100% right. But you've got to be willing to go, okay, it's changing and we're not just stuck here and entrenched here that we're just gonna be angry right. or we're gonna like stall our, you know, our willingness to improve and iterate. So,
2: yeah. yeah. And a ton of people are great at collecting the
1: data. It's just what are you gonna do with it next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When things do change. Yeah. Right? Which is, is another strange. expression of process and design. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking, a third turn or this maestro level leader kind of cohort is another application of the same thing. Yeah. Given what we've got here, what will we do? Well, community organizers for years have said, Oh, that's appreciative inquiry. What do we have to work with? As opposed to moaning over what we lost or what we don't have, which only wastes calories and you know neurons. You're not making any choices, you're just moaning. Yes. Right? And it's okay to say, oh, stink. You know, it's gone. All right, now what are we going to do? Because you acknowledge it. But if you're lost in it, you're not going after the new possibilities that are emerging. And what I hope we can keep uh, modeling together for leaders is that actually this is the normal The normal is you are always figuring it out. If you start to think you've landed and you've done, or you've taken the hill or whatever your metaphor is, you're already winding down and decreasing the value of the firm that you run.
0: And I can relate to the willingness to want to fight against that because there's a point where you go, oh my gosh, that's exhausting. But you have to be willing to say, or is it exciting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, especially if you have this idea that someday you're just going to retire and it's just going to be over and you're just going to sail off into the sunset easily and you're just Mm going to walk away. Life has never been like that. So I'm not quite sure why anyone would expect, oh, I'm just going to hit this magic age of 65 and (laughs) fairy dust. Everything is transformed without work and effort. I think some
2: people take the bad days worse the longer they go on because mm. they don't remember when they first start there are always a lot more bad days there should be at least 10 <laughs> years into they it to learn. where you go oh my gosh like last week was horrible well it seems the more you run your business the more you get you know master at it those days become far and few between so when you do have a bad day it's magnified, and you're like, "When's this ever going to end?" I know. I always have these bad days, but right. in practicality, no, you haven't. Right. You know, you may have had one one a month now, yeah. or one every quarter, whatever
1: that may be. And now you're talking about the pain and anguish of knowledge transfer. So you've lived through it, and yeah. here comes the young pup, the wet behind the ears person, <laughs> yeah. the whatever that doesn't know that. In the way that you know it in your body. They haven't, they, they've had their hard knocks over, but they haven't done it in the organization through all of those moments of figuring it out. And you're gonna have to let them make a mistake, which yeah. reduces profits, which harms things, but it's all with this view of being able to have profits when you're not it's touching hard. it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I love the example. In the scriptures of Moses, as an example. So, you know, just really quickly, his father-in-law, Jethro, comes and visits him, says, why is everybody coming to you? You got to divide up the responsibility. And he does. And right after that, you get Korah's rebellion. You get a golden calf. You get all of these spies right. who go to Canaan land. And we used to have a Sunday school song, 10 are bad and two were good. Uh-huh. Right. But. He he finds Joshua and Caleb through that process and is able then to walk with him, particularly Joshua, who becomes a successor and is able to do things that Moses is now not going to do, cannot do. Uh, and you can literally look at Moses' life the first 40 years, the middle 40 years, the last 40 years uh, with the 120 lifespan that he's credited as having and see, oh, first turn, second <laughs> turn, that's awesome. oh, third turn. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a great one to look at if you want a case study. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it's one of the best in history. That is yeah, amazing. True oh i love it having a hard time smiling with my
2: <laughs> mountain biking accident well, anyway.
0: i know it's so funny you're gonna actually have to tell that story on a podcast tomorrow so
2: oh yeah you know what uh, mark fratto rides bikes as well uh, yes. Road bikes you you mentioned you ride road bikes but um he had a was it on his road bike he had a bad wreck or a car wreck I know it. I think it, it was his road bike. I think it was his road bike. Anyway, that's, that's, <laughs> that's for tomorrow. That's
0: for tomorrow. I know. Married to the business, he says, well, I can't be on that one. I'm like. He would have um, been great for the
2: transition. He sold an engineering firm a few years ago. Yeah. He did marketing for him. Then well, and sold- he's watching
0: the third turn go poorly,
1: mm. unfortunately. Yeah. So, And there's no guarantee, is nope. there? There's no mm-hmm. guarantee. You can only do what you can do. Yep. And somewhere along the way, the person who is receiving the handoff has to have a similar spirit or they are going to run it into the ground. mean, The normal story, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeves, three generations. Yeah. Uh, businesses have shorter lifespans than human life. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: what um, is the most recent projection now for businesses?
1: I don't know what the length would be. I know what the success rate is for startups, which yeah. is abysmally small. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, if if somebody gets to five years and they're actually profitable, yeah. no matter what it is, they are already a unicorn.
0: Yeah. Isn't that amazing?
1: Already. Yeah. Wow.
0: I heard something somewhere, but I think they were talking about Fortune 1000 companies where they're... Longevity on that list is
1: well, only fifty. You can years. even do it like the Fortune short. 50. And if you go 20 years, who was in who was in it 20 years ago? Who's in it now? Are they still in business? You'll find some, but if you ask, are they in the same business? They're in a different business, or there's a big change to the model. Yes. Um, yeah. That you know, and Apple's a great example where the future is already not likely to be phones, although they're still doing pretty well there, they're having to forecast that. Well, Apple wasn't in phones prior to about, what, 2000 or 19, I mean, excuse me, 2010? Yep, exactly. 2009, something like that. That's right,
0: yeah. And their iPods and all of that, you know, I mean. Mm-hmm. How it might you know how it migrated and right. changed and, right? and oh it was the goodness.
1: personal computer before that, but that's not their big money maker anymore. Yeah,
0: nope,
1: nope. Got adapt to change. Yeah, Kodak,
2: perfect example. <laughs> Always they could have they could have been here and Did decided you know, to stay with the camera. Not the film. only
0: was it about the film and the digital camera, they actually had and developed the technology that would eventually become the phones of today. Yeah, so it wasn't even only. That they refused the film and the digital transformation. I mean, they literally had the key to the kingdom. Right. And just said, nope.
1: You're you going to hide oh, that
0: um, under the mattress yeah, it over was, here. On the
2: flip side of that coin, though, I watched a documentary about a year ago on uh, to Tabasco company. And they're, what, seven generations in? Wow. You know, amazing. privately owned.
0: You just want to go, what yeah, are you doing yeah, right? Yeah, the guy That's who's amazing. interviewing
2: says, so how much are you worth? He goes, hmm. That's between me and my CPA,
0: you know, because it's been (laughs) so
1: long. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That is so cool. Yeah.
1: There are stories. There are examples. And one of the things that we're after is to be able to pull those out. Um, You know, what I got to watch as a child is not everybody else's experience. So finding ways to get those stories in front of others. Yeah. And even people that, hey, I could probably reach out to that person. I could probably call them. They would respond to me so that we have a community of people Where we would say they care about, they're driven by the hope of grandchildren's grandchildren. Yes. You know, we can kind of make our mind go that far into the future. So if I'm thinking about my granddaughter, Brynn, who's my oldest granddaughter, she's eight. If I'm thinking about whatever I do with her grandchildren in mind, Mm. gathering a community that says that matters as opposed to what's my 401k say right now? Yes. Yeah. And it gets bigger than yours to have that orientation. We want to gather those kind of people in substantive conversations, help them know each other more fully than maybe we've been able to do in the past.
0: So beautiful. I think that's such a great, you know, pin to place for a moment, just because so many people love, are obsessed with bemoaning the state of the world right now and how everything is deteriorating and people are rotten and this and that, but I don't know, like, I think it depends on what you choose to look at and what you choose to give your attention to and what you decide to participate in, you know, and I don't think it's about rose colored glasses. I do think it's about when you decide to think about your grandchild's grandchildren Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that very much creates a very different type of community, different type of people that you attract, a different type of energy and, you know, approach to love and connection and relationship Mm -hmm. inside of your family and inside of the broader realm. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes your reality because you chose it. And so the chicken or the egg. But I always do wonder, you know, I mean, the people that are they love problems as a worry stone. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> right. it's your favorite thing right now. And right. You've got to be careful where you place your attention and how far you're willing to look in the future.
1: I think that's healthy. Yeah. Well, imagine if this was the year 1865 and, you know, everybody's coming home oh from civil gosh. war, um, if they come home at all, yeah. right? And all the devastation and, and all of that. So, you know, to be able to set that or say, what was it, the Spanish flu, 1918? Right. You know, at the end of World War One, you know, um, it doesn't take but a moment, if we breathe, to get perspective, but then we have to choose. Do I, do I want to move into a particular direction? Well, what direction is that? And I have uh, become very affectionate uh, toward a word that I just learned, and it is that I am not just an individual. I am also an embedual. I am embedded in a family. I am embedded in a community. Oh, that's interesting. I am embedded in a state and in a nation and on this planet. Wow. And my life needs to reflect not just my individual desires, but embedual desires, or I'm denying at least half of what myself is. It's so interesting.
0: I know there's definitely more um, layers to just being a member of a community. You know, or a part of a group. I mean, but an embedded.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Really cool. Really cool. Okay. I have another question when find not probably, I should never say final. <laughs> yeah, I well. I am notorious for being like, okay, one yeah, last kind question. Of going and I back to more. that
2: is, you know, defining success. And so many people do it around monetary, you know, what they're worth, their mm-hmm. value. And it's, I always looked at it as in, as long as I did better than the generation that raised me, and then their generation, and I provide for my children, like you said, your grandchildren, that four, thinking of, they're going to have, they better have better than me. Whether it be, you know, worship, you know, monetary, whatever that may be, their lives in general, better off than mine. That's my goal for them. Right. You know. And hopefully it was for me. I'm like, I just did everything I could to be better than the generation that put me put me in this place.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so your work uh, crosses all of the boundaries in regards to growth in the business world, which is why I'm so excited, of course, about having you on. But what kind of encouragement or advice or, you know, what would you say to people about growth in today's world and about achieving growth or having more impact in the business world or, you know, just anything like that.
1: This response is, um, I hope, the kind of question is in line with the question that you're asking me. What I think about right away is where I try to spend the time that I spend, which is there's this intersection between the person and the organization that they lead if they're an executive leader. Right. Right. <laughs> And that intersection reflects the capacity of the organization and the capacity of the person, which becomes their capacity to lead the organization's capacity. I mean, it's it's all kind of crunches together. Yes. So it's how big can we grow that intersection? So if we're going to grow the business and that executive leader isn't growing, it will outstrip them. And that will either mean they no longer should be in the seat Or that the organization will collapse back to the size that they themselves can lead. Wow. Right? Yes. Or let's flip that around. If the person is growing and their capacity is growing and the organization itself is not it doesn't mean that the organization is broken cuz there's reasons to have a lifestyle business and to, you know make it a thing where it's running off the profit rather than factoring it for growth there's all kinds of reasons That's that it a might decision not be right or should be but that person then will find that the organization is not the domain of their influence right and then Somebody else is going to have to run it because if they start to function in some other kind of domain, this business is going to deteriorate if someone else isn't being able to sit in the chair and lead it and grow it and run it. So the growth constriction happens when one or the other is not growing in the way that the other is. Nice. So what I'm often looking for with a person, when they're saying, I don't know what to do. Tell me your story. And what we're listening for is who are they? What are they learning? What are they developing? What's their skill set? What raises their energy and what robs it? And we all have that formula. Now, here's the business. What is its demand? What is its marketplace reality? What's happening? What's its history? Where do you want to take it? And then you begin to see what the gaps are. Now we find out if that leader is a lifelong learner or not. Because the minute you start to look at the gaps... I think I'm going to say back exactly what you said a little bit ago, Daisy. They're either going to be saying, "Here's an opportunity," or I'm resisting it, or I want more data, but, or but 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 but, but, <laughs> but but you don't understand, or we're you different, don't understand. And, <laughs> yes. and as soon as that happens, you know that we've got a leadership capacity issue that's limiting the business. Yeah. Right, and it can be the opposite where uh, the business doesn't have enough capital. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have enough of a marketplace reach. It doesn't have the right product mix or whatever else. And so we've got to make an adjustment there so that this leader's vision uh, can actually be more fully utilized. Right. So that, for me, is a major part of growth, is removing the constrictions. And the constrictions are often there together, the organization and the person who is responsible for it.
0: I love it. Okay, as a follow up question, give me just a couple of examples of obviously these gaps that you identify, they reverse engineer themselves into, as you mentioned earlier, the decisions that people make on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, like, what are the kinds of decisions that are impacted where? the leader, for instance, is learning to build capacity. What does that look like on sure. day one, week one, month one, year one, when you're trying to build leadership capacity?
1: So I'm I'm just going to guess, but you can confirm this, that some of your clients are, are nonprofits.
0: Mm-hmm, few. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So in the nonprofit world, that's just the first example that comes to mind, is that you often will find um, that leaders and sometimes even board members and sometimes whoever's responsible for the money, they think in terms of the expenses
0: yes, instead
1: point. of the income. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I if do. you ask them, this is a fun little game to play, and it will break your heart, actually. Ask uh, a CEO what their income is. Nine times out of ten, they're going to tell you what their expenses were, as if they are the same thing. You ask them a left side of the wow. ledger question, really? they're going to answer from the Right. Interesting. Because the whole point is to have the money that covers the expenses to that they're spend. committed to.
0: Interesting. Right? Yeah. So they're
1: trying to get back to zero every yeah. year. We're, we've committed to this money, now we got to raise it. Mm-hmm. But they're not thinking about what their income pool is, where it comes from. It doesn't mean that they're totally ignorant of it. But if you ask them about their income and they answer from the expenses. It's their paradigm. It's the paradigm. And that's often present day one, year one. And it's in the water. It's in the culture. It is it is from board to frontline volunteer. Really? Really very deeply present.
0: Fascinating. So that'd
1: be one one example. Um, We sometimes see it uh, where the person who's running the business understands the OPEX side, Mm -hmm. but struggles to understand the CAPEX side. They've run the department, they've run the division, whatever, but they don't know how to work with the board. They don't know how to work with the investors, and they resent every moment they have to spend capitalizing the business as <laughs> right. opposed to operating the business. Yeah. Like that's an interruption. But that's where the balance sheet is built from, right? right. And then one more is the, often see this with um, CFOs, some CMOs, but it's more usually in the CFO or a um, head of HR or whatever, where they are not strategic. Mm. They have the title but they are approaching it as a super administrator. So it's about the paperwork yeah. and the paperwork being organized yeah. rather than serving the business and its mission and its vision. Right. And, uh, or you have that CFO, and this is where it gets tragic, who is, it's about everything being reportable in, with excellence. But now you don't have real-time information flowing. And if I've got a minute, I'll just give one really important example, because right now we're seeing a lot of, we're going to put an enterprise operating system in here. We're going to make everything digital and run it. Sure. Well, the issue is back in the day, if you're running a tool and die shop and you own the thing or you're one of the machinists, whatever, you put your hand on the walls of the building and you know if things are running true or not. You can feel it in your body. You can touch it. As soon as you take your eyes off that, because it's all now digital, you're not feeling the machines. You're serving the software. Now imagine doing that in the C-suite as the chief financial officer, where you're not so much looking at the cash flow. You're just making sure there's a cash flow report. You're, yeah. you're not so Ouch. much saying that all of the invoices go out today in 15 minutes. You're wondering if the batch file went out and it's easier to send a batch file if you do it twice a week. Uh, right. And so all of a sudden, six months in, you've got a problem where you're dipping into your line of credit to manage payroll that you never had to do before. And more often than not, it has been an unthinking, non-strategic way of putting software in play to automate tasks that helped you monitor the business. It's
0: like efficiency over effectiveness Mm -hmm. in one actually, you know, you lost sight.
1: Right. The over, the and other. so wow. what we often are seeing is that somebody who's moving into the C-suite, so turn one to turn two, mm-hmm. they're bringing their expertise to it, not realizing that it they can't just apply it to their channel. Right. right? That, that, that cylinder that they rose up in and, and have some kind of maybe more omniscience about. Right. It is now touching everything, and they have to pay attention to the whole. They have to have a visceral connection to the business. They cannot offload their brain yeah. to that. And that is one of the things that we're seeing right away when they're coming to this role is like, I've got to prove myself, just like I did in turn one. No, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. And also, don't do the other ditch of this road, which is, I'm not going to do anything for a year. Oh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes and learn. Do you
0: know it's sad that's one of the reasons that you know, the fractionals end up getting hired is because we have to make very quick, you know, strategic and practical impact. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean there is no I'm gonna walk the halls and talk to people and get a sense of where the organization is already at. Nope. Nope, you need to do that in one month or less. Yeah. But it's so interesting because I think that approach, that aggressive approach, I don't, you know, I mean, maybe more people need to embrace it, you know, and obviously I'm going to be super biased towards be aggressive, progress over perfection,
1: do something. <laughs> jump in, do something, make <laughs> yeah. a decision
0: to make a decision, Right, like, and never just sit down. <laughs> exactly. But that has a tendency to be my happy place, not the mm-hmm. opposite. So, well, Mark, thank you so, so much for joining us today. This it was is so fun. It's always a pleasure. Always. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. All right.
1: Very nice to meet you and you. Thank you.
0: All right, Mark, how can people connect with you?
1: It's pretty simple. Uh, The website that I work from is maestrolevelleaders.com. And uh, there's a place there you can just reach out and send a note and we can get a conversation started. And I respond. So it's not going through somebody else. I'll be happy to hear from you.
0: Okay. I do have to ask one final question. Are you writing another book?
1: I am trying to get one started. There is uh, there are two manuscripts, one in particular that I would like to see around the core competencies for process consulting. We have a new course that um, through the Society for Process Consulting that is really hitting a home run. People love it. The Standards and Ethics Committee landed on what those core competencies are and I was privileged to write that course and there's just a lot of material there ready to shape into a manuscript. So we're in a very early stage and conversation about that.
0: Okay, and last one, if people are interested in process consulting, where should they look?
1: Society for com. I had to think that one through society for com, and they can learn about it. There's a place there to sign up for courses if they're interested.
0: Fantastic. Thank you Thank again. You. Onward and upward. All right. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.